we will be in Luke chapter 2. I appreciate Pav and Amy um, tying a lot of things in. We sang about the Christ child. We sang about shepherds. We sang about that night and the birth of our Savior. We sang about um, an offering. Uh, what we offer, what He has offered. We sang about the curse. All of those tie into Luke chapter 2, which... Maddie read for us just a little while ago um, that wonderful and yet bizarre story of the shepherds in a field. You know, I don't, I don't have problem with hope. That one doesn't cause me trouble. Remember in, in junior high, uh, sitting in science class, there's the back of the building, there was windows, and out the back was the playground, and in the springtime as the elementary kids were playing and I was in junior high science class, wishing I was somewhere else, and the leaves would start budding out, and I would think, you know, summer, and no science, and no homework, and no school really, and swimming, and golf, and being outside is right around the corner. And it would give me hope, a, a longing expectation of what's to come. And I was sure of that because for the past 12 or 13 years of my life, summer always followed spring. Without fail. It just happened. And so I knew when the trees started budding out that my time in that room, wishing that I was on the other side of that glass, was soon to be over. I had no doubts that they weren't going to do something odd and, and change summer back into winter. And I, I have that same confidence that one day God is going to set all things right. Hope doesn't give me a lot of problems. We talked about last week. The faithfulness of God over time, not only in the pages of Scripture, but in my own life. And I trust that one day He'll make all things right. The problem is, is today. The problem is we, we lit another candle, a candle of, of joy, and sometimes hope doesn't translate into joy in the present. Just like the hope of summer always didn't translate into joy when we were talking about igneous and metamorphic rocks. Hope doesn't always translate to joy today either, like when you're paying bills or when you're doing homework or when you're sitting in the doctor's office for the tenth time and they still say, I don't know. And so we talk about joy. It's this characteristic of the Christian life that we're supposed to have. It's supposed to be a part of who we are Right? Lauren read about not only the angels, but Jesus and John and Paul and Peter. They all talk about joy. Paul even says, be joyful always. And does, he, does he really mean that? <laughs> and, and he's not talking about the plastic smile, right? That's not what he's talking about. I think, well, what does that mean? And I, and I think through the Scripture and I think of... You remember that time when, when Jesus went to see... Martha and Mary and Lazarus had died and, and they were walking to the tomb and he was weeping with them. I don't think anybody in the crowd that was watching that would have said, oh, there goes a joyful man. Or in the temple, when he had, had sat down and he was braiding the whip and then he got up and then he used it and he drove them out. I don't think anybody in that crowd at that point in time would have said, well, there goes a joyful man. Look what joy he has. He may have felt some joy deep inside. I don't think it was on his face. 
And so when Paul says, be joyful always, I think for the people that followed Jesus around, those times when he wept, those times when he showed anger, those times when he got in people's faces, and maybe you couldn't see the joy, my guess is the people that followed him around constantly would have said, well, now that's different. They would have recognized those times when he wasn't joyful and thought, there's something going on here that I should pay attention to. Because normally, this is a man of great joy that just kind of bubbles over and infects everybody and everything. And so it's not that plastic smile, and it's not that we don't grieve, and it's not that we don't long for justice to be done. So what is it? Well, that story that the girls read just a moment ago, I think, helps us to see what the Bible talks about when it talks about joy. So again, we're in, in Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to read it again. You've heard it. We often start, though... In verse 10, when we tell that story. Do not fear, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. That's often where we start, but we need to back up a little bit. Because sometimes, that's not what happens. Sometimes we face life and we go, oh, this isn't joyful. This morning, y'all came, and it's kind of wet, and it's a little cold, but it could be worse. Well, there's one more, there's a picture you might not be able to get out. That's a picture in northeast Texas. Some friends of mine, they couldn't leave their house. The ice storm, I mean, there are trees. It looks like a tornado came through. You can't, that's a street, but you can't really tell because there are large trees that the ice, see, it didn't, you know, Texas, it's warm usually and they haven't dropped all their leaves yet. And you put inches of ice and they come tumbling down. And so what do you do? Is that, is that a joyful situation? Doesn't look like it to me, no. right? I mean, there were a few kids that were happy there wasn't any school. <laughs> but ultimately, when you spend a day, then another day, and then another day with no electricity, it becomes less and less joyful, right? Thanks, Phil. The shepherds were like that. They were minding their own business. And it says that an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it says they were greatly afraid. There was nothing happy about this scene. Why? Well, usually when God shows up, there's this stark realization that I'm not Him and He's not me. You see, we walk through life in the dark a lot, often very close to the edge. And the glory of the Lord shines and illumines everything and we realize that I'm on the edge of a chasm and, and God is over there and He says, you have to come to me. And I say, but I, I can't get there. If, if I take a step, I'm going to fall. And He says, but you have to come to me anyway. Oh, and by the way, this is implied when we're in His presence. Isaiah saw the presence of God and he says, woe is me for I'm undone. Because the requirement really for, for stepping off and being able to make it is perfection. 
We understand that when we come into His presence. We understand that I have to step off into that chasm and to be successful, I have to be perfect. And so there's this fear. Because when I'm in God's presence, when the glory of the Lord shines around me, I realize that I'm not perfect and yet there's still that call into His presence and I know that I'm stepping to my death. And so they were afraid. Rightly so were they afraid. But sometimes in His grace, in His mercy, He says, as the angels say, this appearance isn't about judgment right now. And the angel said, don't fear, for I bring you good news of great joy. They could have said, rightly so, (laughs) you are a man of unclean lips. You are men of unclean lips, and this is judgment. Justice is about to be served. But instead they said, wait, this is not what this is about. Don't be afraid. This is actually one of those times when God shows up with something good to say. And then they speak some words to the shepherds which they would have understood. And so first we need to make sure we understand what they understood and then see if God's saying the same thing to us. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy to the Jews, to the prophets over and over again about you really are a light to the nations. It's not a surprise, but at that point in time, there may have still been a little head scratch. Why is that good news? Keep going. For unto you is born this day. Okay, someone's someone's born. Okay, that's good. And what they would have heard, if if the Greek records the order of the words correctly, in the city of David doesn't show up to the end, so we're going to save that. A Savior. What would the shepherds have thought when they heard heard the word Savior? Well, common vernacular, the word Savior means someone who is a rescuer or someone who is a deliverer. And that idea would have been very popular with them. It would have gained traction with them because they needed to be rescued, they needed to be delivered from the hand of Rome. And so immediately the idea of a birth and a deliverer or a rescuer, if they're paying attention at all, and this is God that's shown up, they would have been thinking, aha, this is that one that was promised. And for them, the one that was promised would be the one that would deliver them from their enemies, And so there's this beginning of an idea of who this person is. We we like that. A Savior who is Christ, the Greek word for Messiah. Psalm 110, the one who would be anointed as king. Aha! The line of David has returned. And now the shepherds may be getting really excited because someone has actually been born who's going to grow up and we're going to put the crown on his head and the Romans are going to be gone. And not only is he the Messiah, but he's the Lord. Now, the Greeks often translated the word Yahweh as Lord. I don't think the shepherds would have thought that because in their mind, God wouldn't have been born that day. 
Uh, but Lord can also mean someone who's high. It can mean a king. It can mean someone who's in a position of authority, a position of royalty. It just fit along with, with their thought. And then the last phrase, in the city of David. Bethlehem. Everything the angel said matched up with what they thought they were looking for. We need someone to come into our lives who will deliver us from Roman bondage and set us free and be the long-awaited king that was promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah. And the angels said to the shepherds, this should bring you great joy. And they believed it. And as Amy said, they went in haste. <laughs> they ran. Let's go. We can be the first ones to see this one who will grow up. All right, so it's, it's like getting, maybe getting an autograph of a one-day all-pro football player, maybe like when he was in junior high and you got his autograph. Right? And so when he's famous, you can go say, I knew him. We were buds. We went to school together. We're, we're tight. We're close. Right? So they rushed and they go to see because their hope and their joy is now placed not in a situation, but in a person. And then really it's up to them to go back and, and whether that joy sticks or not in the midst of their situation because nobody said you're no longer going to be shepherds. They had to go back to the stinky, dirty, stupid sheep. Their situation hasn't changed, but because they now have an object to believe in, they can have joy in their present circumstance as they look to the future of what might be. Did they get it right? Were they correct? Or did they have misplaced joy? That's my fear, I guess. So that's what the struggle is. Okay, I know God's returning. I know one day He's going to set all things right. But what does that have to do with today? Paying bills. Or watching the news and seeing the fact that there's not peace on earth. How does that help me today? That's why I struggle. That's what's hard about this. Because I, I want to believe that those... Otherwise, it's kind of a bait and switch. I mean, the, the angels knew what the shepherds would have thought all along. And did, did that happen? Did Jesus kick the Romans out? Is that fair? Seems, it seems wrong to me. Like a bait and switch. Or is it? For unto you is born this day... A Savior. Did He? Did He save them? Was He the Messiah? Was He the one that was going to take care of the Romans? And I would submit to you the answer, even though we may think no, the answer really is yes. And this helps us today where we are. Because you see, they feared the Romans. They were controlled by the Romans. The Romans dictated to them everything they had to do, and yet we look over in the book of Acts, and all of a sudden we find out 
there's all these people who no longer feared Rome. They no longer feared authority. They no longer allowed Rome to dictate to them what they do. In fact, even when they were scattered, even when they were spread abroad, they just went about telling this good news. Many of them continued to tell the good news to the point of death because they no longer feared man. See, Rome wasn't physically kicked out, but Rome was kicked out of their mind. I don't care who's emperor. I have a Messiah who is sitting on the throne right now who is the sovereign of the universe. And I don't really care what the emperor says. I've got good news. And I can go about my life in whatever situation that is. Hungry? Were they hungry? Yes. Were they poor? Yes. Were they abused? Yes. Were they persecuted? Yes. Were they displaced? Yes. Did they have a home? No. Were they called to difficult situations? Yes. And over and over we read through the book of Acts and Paul's letters that they did that with great joy and perseverance and satisfaction. Because the truth was the Romans really were gone of no count in their mind. It wasn't a military rebellion. It was an intellectual and a spiritual rebellion. The revolution that happened, happened in here. Not on the streets. Because a Savior did come because their their greatest enemy was the fear of that and the fear of the people around them. And the fear that my sin would hold me back from being able to to walk in peace and security. And when the Savior came, He said, What can man do to you? I have allowed you, given you eternal life that starts now. Really, what, what can man do to you? What fears do you really have? Well, as I sit down and I start paying bills, I fear there won't be enough or I fear that somehow I'm going to want something or need something. It's not going to stretch as far. And God speaks into that and says, but why does that, why does that bother you? When I've given you my son and I've, I've promised you eternal life and Okay, what if, what if you are hungry? Is that where your hope is, is a, is a full stomach? What if you are cold? What if you are homeless? We don't like that because we're comfortable. We're Americans and we're supposed, to, we're supposed to have the comforts. We feel entitled to food, clothing, and shelter. Those are the basic needs that we're supposed to have. You read through some of the passages in 2 Corinthians and Paul went without all of those things in joy and wonder at the fact that he had a Savior. But we know something the shepherds didn't know, right? We know that Lord really does mean Yahweh. God was 
born, so to speak. Jesus was fully God and fully man. The sovereign of the universe, the one that Paul says, through whom and by whom and for whom all things were created, is the one that was born. Is the one who said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Is the one who promised eternal life that would start now. It's not just that we, there's this man that we think is going to be a king and he's going to sit on the throne for a while and he's going to die. And we can be joyful for a while because he'll make things okay. It's not like that, that we're going to get the president or the congress that we want and they'll pass the laws that'll make us happy for a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a few years. This is the one who will reign forever and ever. And the one, and Paul says that to him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That he is God. And so when I'm in science class wishing that it was summer, or I'm paying bills, or I'm sitting in the doctor's office, or I'm reading the news, and I'm wondering, God, what are you up to? How do I have joy in the midst of this? The answer should be, well, number one, remember, he says, when I walked the earth, it didn't always look joyful. So don't put on a plastic smile, number one. It's not what we're talking about. When we light this candle and say we, the joy of the season, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that I can sit down and face those hard times with this inner confidence that, you know what? There's nothing that happens today that removes the reality of the fact that I'm God's child. But we need to be careful that we don't just focus it on us. We read about, we sang about, sorry, the curse. Jesus didn't just come to save me, to redeem me, to deliver, to redeem the world, to redeem the nations, to set everything right. We need to, part of my problem, I won't put that on you, but it might apply. Part of my problem is I, I look inward too often. What's in it for me? What about me? What about me? And then, obviously, when I do that, then my focus is off of the things above. See, God didn't just come to redeem me. He came to redeem everything, to break the curse, to end that for you and for me and for those around us. And the question is, do I believe that? Because there are people out there who don't understand that, who don't see that, who sit down and have no possibility of joy to look to except for the bills in front of them or the doctor's visits or homework. Or, or a life that looks like that street that's blocked off. I have no electricity. 
I can't get out. No one can get to me. I'm stuck. Will you and I offer them hope? Us who have the the possibility of, of thinking God has taken care of everything in one sense for me. Can I offer that hope to the world? Do I, do, I, do I believe it enough to walk out those doors and interact with humanity and say, I've got some news, some good news for you. That this is not all there is. The sheep in the pasture are not all there is. The pain, the anguish, the hurt, that's not all there is. And not that we have to show them the smile. As Jesus, we weep with those who weep. We get angry at injustice. We come alongside people who are being ill-treated. We walk with the poor. We are generous. We are kind. We give abundantly of our resources. That's the question for us. That's what Christmas encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, then what is our response? Our response has to be the same as the angels who understood what was happening and showed up to these shepherds and says, I bring you good news of great joy which will be to all people. And so as we walk out these doors this week, I want us to think about that. Number one, do you believe? You need to wrestle with that this week. Do you have hope that one day God will make all things right? Wrestle with that. Wrestle with God over that. Two, will you begin the process of deciding it's not a physical battle? I don't fight against flesh and blood. It's, it's, it's here. That's why Paul says, now I forgot, what did Paul say? Romans 12.1. Someone start that. It's escaped me. Someone in here knows that. Do you want? Yeah, thank you. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is a spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not the renewing of the government, not the renewing of the education system. We transfer hope to joy as we renew our mind by setting our mind on things above. And then we're able to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and love the people around us. And we'll talk about that more fully next week and what the Incarnation has to do with that at all. So my challenge to you this week as you go home, do I really hope that God will set all things right? Do I believe that? How am I doing... Fostering joy. Not fostering a plastic smile. Fostering joy. That I don't have to fear whatever's in front of me. That God will make things right. And then will you begin just asking God, God, would you prepare my heart that I might love those around me? Let's pray together. Father, as we sang a little while ago, um, it is only by your blood that we come into your presence. And we're humbled. Because we can step off into that chasm 
secure that there's actually something there that we won't fall. So much better news than what the, than what the shepherds understood. They were looking for temporal relief and you've given us eternal relief. How do we praise you and we thank you that you have chosen to intervene in our lives? Help us to see that that's not just for us. Help us to be mindful that you have changed us that we might be the light to the nations. That you've blessed us that we might bless other people. That you've given us grace and mercy that we might offer that to someone else. In love, they might see you for who you are. Father, as we enter this week in the trials and the tribulations and the heartache that come with that, we ask through the power of Your Spirit to help us to be the people that You've called us to be. Full of hope and joy, overflowing with love for those around us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.